Songs for the Weary Soul. We're going to talk about the second canticle, as they call it in the New Testament. It's called the Magnificat. And it's very familiar to us in the Christmas story, as it is the song of praise that Mary sang um, when she was given the incredible news that she would be the Theotokos, the God-bearer, as they tried to understand that in the early few centuries. Songs for the Weary Soul. As we begin to think about the song that Mary sang, um, there are two lines that we could easily pass by without kind of just stopping and saying, hmm, what does that mean? So the Magnificat, in part, is like this. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. So we could quickly pass by, my soul exalts the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, and find our way into the Magnificat with its wonderful story of what God has promised and what God is providing. But why don't we just stop today and uh, make sure we understand what Mary is saying and why what she is saying or singing is very important to us. I don't know if you... Um, go through any of these exercises to try to understand yourself. As human beings, the most elusive thing to understand is ourselves, right? Do you understand yourself? Do you understand what you do, why you do, what you think, what you believe, those kinds of things? So these days, again, the Enneagram has become a great tool. It's a, a way to try to figure out what we're made of, how we're wired, and all of that. Um, I, I've talked here about apept, uh, the five-fold gifts of the Holy Spirit, and how each one of those kind of describe some of us, one or more of them. You've probably taken personality gifts, um, gifts or um, organizing tests and questionnaires, and Maybe at the end of the day, you still throw your hands up and say, I don't know. I don't know what that all means. I don't know what I am. I don't know what my type is. I don't understand myself. So today we're going to go to the, the New Testament and understand that as far as the Bible is concerned, it's important for us to understand that we as human beings are three-part beings. We are three-part, not two-part beings. And people have argued over that in theology for many years. Those who believe that we are two-part beings would simply say we are people with an outer part and an inner part. We are people with outer selves and inner selves. But as we go into the New Testament, we'll find that it regularly splits us off into three parts, not two. And so the Apostle Paul, for example, um, when he's giving a benediction, um, he says, may, may God sanctify you wholly in body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And, and he identifies the three and doesn't say, may you in the inner man and outer man be sanctified, made well. He says, it's in each of those departments that I'm praying that God will sanctify you. So when we look at the way that the Bible describes us, 
the way that the Bible would have us understand us, um, we would do well to consider the fact that we are beings of three parts or three dimensions, three spheres. We are people who are people of the body and people of the soul and people of the spirit. And what do each of those mean? Well, the body part we get, we figured that out. But the whole matter of the distinction between the soul and the spirit is one I want to talk about this morning. And the reason I was prompted to think about that is what Mary begins her song with. She says, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So is that just a poem? You know, maybe is it just two ways to say the same thing? Well, it might be, except that when we go into the New Testament, we find that there's this consistent division of the human nature, the human person, um, into body, soul, and spirit. And so as we look at Mary singing this song, uh, we need to understand that she is engaging two parts of her being. She's engaging her soul and also her spirit. So what do they mean? What is a person's soul and what is a person's spirit? My computer is talking to me here. Just give me a moment. We'll be right back. Here we are. I've been reading a book this week that um, I, I've pulled out from a long time ago by a Chinese writer. What is that? It's on the other computer. Hang on here. Oh, goodness me. There we go. I think we're back. All right, as you were. People at home are going, what in the world is he doing? The person that I'm talking about was a, a Chinese writer um, called Watchman Nee. And maybe way, way back you came across some of his writings. He, he, was, he, he had a little bit of a different turn on Christian theology, although thoroughly orthodox. Um, he had a, a different kind of spin on spirituality, if you like. And he, he was a person of, of great respect because um, he, he, in a very kind of lonely, prophetic way, he taught us some things in the church as, as a Chinese person. And he spent, I think, the last 20 years of his life, he spent in jail um, under the communists in, in China. And while he was in just the whole span of his writing, he, he tried to understand the nature of humankind. And he, I think better than anybody else, identifies the difference between body and soul, body, soul, and spirit. In fact, he wrote a book called The Spiritual Man, which if you'd like to understand spirituality, I, I think is probably the best thing that has ever been written decades and decades ago now. His name is Watchman Nee. Um, we understand that the the human person is someone who has a body, and we we might call that a person's world consciousness. He has a soul, she has a soul, and we might call that self-consciousness. And also we have a spirit, which we might call God consciousness. 
So if you're, if you're trying to kind of parse out the being that you are, you know, never mind your Enneagram or your type or your temperament, uh, you at least can know this for sure. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And what I want to do this morning is ask, well, when it comes to spirit and soul, which of the two do we kind of put in control in our lives? Um, you might have been in some conversation somewhere where someone asked the question, who's in charge here, needing to sort things out? And the, the bottom line of what we want to talk about this morning is to ask that question. When it comes to my being, my being a person of body, soul, and spirit, who's in charge here? Is it the body, is it the soul, or is it the spirit? And I think practically speaking, that's a very important question for us to ask ourselves. And especially as we seek to find some kind of rest, some kind of respite for the weariness we've said in our souls, how do soul and spirit weigh into that whole question of finding restfulness? According to Genesis 2 verse 7, um, here, here's a quote. It says, man was made up of only two independent elements, the corporeal and the spiritual. But when God placed the spirit within the casing of the earth, the soul was produced. The spirit of man touching the dead body produced the soul. The body, apart from the spirit, was dead. But with the spirit, man was made alive. The organ, thus animated, was called the soul. Now that's one of those, wow, what? You gotta slow down and understand that. But that was Watchman Nee's understanding of how it came to be that there was a body, spirit, and soul. Um, and, and I think it's, it's well-founded. And we're going to see all the way through Scripture that if we, not here today, um, but if we, if we understand the way that the human being was parsed out, was separated out, how the spirit uh, came into the body and animated what is now the soul. Um, it's important that we'll see how each, parts, each part of the human being develops and deals with its own sensibilities. So the soul um, contains, I think, three things. The soul contains, first of all, a person's will. It contains a person's intellect. And it contains a person's emotions. So the body, we could figure out it, how the human being relates to the physical world around him or her. But when it comes to the soul, this thing that, um, that Ni is saying was formed by the fusion of the body and the spirit, um, it contains a person's will, a person's intellect, and a person's emotions. Maybe that sums it up fairly well. When we go a little bit farther and think about the spirit, we would suggest that the spirit contains conscience, it contains intuition, 
and it contains communion. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, we read this, The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Hear that? Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. So, in, in the writer to Hebrews' mind, the word of God is a very important tool or a very important agent in making sure that the proper distinction is made between the spirit and the soul. And so if, if we have sort of retreated into a simple outer man, inner man kind of thing, there's something else that we needed to consider. And the, the tripartite or the, the, the three-part notion of humankind is the biblical anthropology, right? To use kind of technical words, but anthropology is the study of, of man, the study of the human person. And the Bible's anthropology says you need to understand that there is body, soul, and spirit. Soul is what we've seen just a few moments ago, but spirit is the part of the human being that contains conscience, intuition, and communion. So they may need just a little bit more explanation. And again, to sort of travel back to how this all came about, remember that the Spirit of God um, was not only God himself, but was highly active in the act of creation and, and then certainly in new creation and, and all of, of human history. The spirit of a human person is sourced in the spirit of God. So we would see that in the Genesis story of creation, it was the spirit of God that came and imbued life. So remember, and again, we might easily pass by just sort of the, the words. In creation, we're told that, that man became a living soul. So what God made out of dirt, he, he then, by his spirit, made it living. So that life itself, the phenomenon of life, is spirit phenomenon the whole notion of consciousness, the whole notion of life is not mechanical as we saw a week or two ago. It's actually spiritual. So that the spirit brought the animation to the body and what comes with the fusion of the body with the spirit is the soul. And the soul becomes um, really the territory of human living. So let me let me just back up again, and we'll think about it, what what the soul meant. The soul is the part of the person that contains these three aspects: the part of the person that contains that person's. Here we go again. Do you remember? Will, intellect, emotions. Okay, got those. Those are the three areas th that kind of talk about the, the sphere in which human beings function in relationships with themselves and with one another. But when we get to the notion of the spirit, 
the spirit small s the way that spirit functions is is much deeper and profound and and we're going to ask well how do they relate to one another in the spirit of a person is the person's conscience so when we think about will and emotions um, and and all of the things that work in that sphere of a person in another sphere in another department so to speak is the person functioning with a conscience so the whole notion of right and wrong belongs not in the soul but it belongs in the spirit the whole notion of right and wrong we would say is spirit sourced and and now we'll use the capital s spirit so the capital s spirit related to the small s human spirit has most of the transaction that happens between god and humankind so in the conscience is the person's innate understanding provided by the holy spirit the spirit to know that there's right and wrong and when we survey all of human history whether or not we all agree on the lists of what is right and wrong there is a human experience that is common to all of us that says there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong actually even more interestingly in in some sociological studies they will they will find kind of quirks of um, cultures or or ways where people actually find strange things right or wrong and all that does is sort of augur towards the notion that there's a human sensibility that says there are rights and wrongs there are ways that you should and ways that you shouldn't ways that you can and ways that you can't the second area in which the spirit is different from the soul is intuition that without being told things not only do we have a, a conscience that weighs them either good or bad right or wrong but in the human spirit is this sense of intuition this sense of knowledge that didn't come because it was told at least it wasn't told in the way that we would think of telling one another something that somehow inside there are things that we know things that we get the third is the area of communion and it is a particularly capital s kind of a phenomenon the communion with god belongs in the spirit so you begin to see that between the soul and the spirit there there are significant differences in the operation of these two parts of the human person and again if we come to the bottom line of all of this we we need to get to ask the question who's in charge here and the deal is that we need to say that if the soul is in charge we might be in trouble the spirit needs to be in charge so the soul is that ordinary day by day functioning of the human person if the soul is not informed by the spirit we'll, we'll just go off on the wrong track we'll have the, the, the wrong wills the wrong wants um, the, the wrong things about human experience 
spirit needs to be intimately connected to capital S, S spirits in, in that we, we practice our communion with God in our spirit, not in our soul primarily and not in our body. You might say, well, okay, why is it important to, to make this distinction? I think it's important because um, it, it, it helps us analyze the way that we assess the question of, of who's actually in charge here. Um, if the body's in charge and we simply relegate the decisions we make and the ways that we function to the body, we end up being more animal-like. We end up being more mechanical, more just us connected to the physical world. We need to be connected to the physical world. We can't say that doesn't matter. But we have to ask, well, but who's in charge of that whole thing? If, if, if the body is what's in charge, well, then you would simply do whatever the body is inclined to do good or ill. Uh, the body may be inclined to eat 24 hours a day. It's not necessarily a good thing, but the body may just, if the body was in charge, that would be what happened. If the soul is in charge, um, we find ourselves lacking some very significant parts of our human existence. Because the soul should not be in charge of the spirit the spirit must be in charge of the soul. I, I think when, when we go into the, the Pauline teaching of the New Testament, we, we find that this explains the distinctions that he often makes. So he will say, um, there's no condemnation to those blah, 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 who walk according to the spirit. So what does he mean by walking according to the spirit? And when he talks about the person who is spiritual discerns certain things. He, he's saying that in functioning as human beings, the spirit is, is the key to being on the right side of the life that should be lived and of the values that should be held and of the just the attitudes and so on that should should reign in our lives if we come back all the way to Mary and you say how, how do we get so far away from Mary well why did Mary say um, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior what does she mean and, and how, how does what she say explains the difference between soul and spirit she, she then goes and says, because the Lord has shown mercy and kindness to his bondservant. He, he has seen my lowly estate. In, in essence, he's saying, she's saying, he has seen me in, in my existence in this world, in my world consciousness kind of being. And it's a low estate. She was a poor girl. She was disadvantaged. She was not, you know, set up to make incredible marks on her society or her world. Um, but she sort of tags that on to these, these strong statements, first of all, that her soul 
exalts the Lord. Um, exalts the Lord simply is a verb that, that means um, enlarges or celebrates or makes great. It's, it's, it gives us the term megalo anything. It, it, it just, it's, it's like um, taking a megaphone. So Mary is saying, my soul is a megaphone for the Lord. And, and she, she then couples that with my spirit has rejoiced. The rejoicing of her spirit is not a function of her soul. It's a function of the spirit. It is a deep settled joy that causes her to be able to employ her soul. So in, in Mary's life, this, this person who is favored by God, um, she's favored by God in part because he notices that her spirit is a spirit that is connected to the spirit. Her, her spirit rejoices. Her spirit has a deep, settled happiness. And because of that, she's able to magnify the Lord. She's able to employ her soul in saying, the Lord is great, the Lord is to be magnified. For Mary, um, the question of who's in charge was a very simple question. The spirit of Mary was in charge. Because of her connection to the Holy Spirit, because of her connection to God, in her spirit, she was knowing the rest, the deep, settled work of God and his grace and she knows him as her savior, she says. And then she tells us all the things that he has done and will do and, you know, marvels in, in this fact that she's going to be called blessed for all generations. Mary got things right. And even though for us this is kind of a bit brain-stretching, it, it, I think, instructs us to say, well, maybe it is important for me to wonder um, who's in charge, body, soul, or spirit. And am I sure that spirit is always in charge? Am I sure that the way that I'm connected to the Holy Spirit is in charge of how I'm connected to myself and to those around me in, in my soul and that my physical activity is in the right order after spirit and soul. Um, if we, if we want to find the, the kind of rest, if, if we want the news that is news for a weary soul, it's not to be found in the soul. It's to be found in the spirit. So we might look for rest or respite for the soul in the soul and we'd be looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. The ability for Mary to employ her soul properly all stems from her rejoicing in her spirit. So in her conscience, in her intuition, in her, in her communion with God, there is incredible vital health that issues into the way that she relates with her will and her emotions and her intellect and all of the ways that her soul 
is part of her in, in a dynamic way. If we're weary, um, there are lots of good things we could do about our, our, our physical beings, resting, sleeping, eating the rest. There are many things for sure we can do in the area of what the soul trades in. But unless there is ample provision to the spirit, the others won't do us any good. And I, I think in the middle of a pandemic, we could far too easily just kind of get into the soul and say, my emotions are kind of tired out here. I think, I, I, how can I be helped emotionally? Um, and yet the answer is not in the soul or the body. The answer is in the spirit. Um, communion with God is of critical importance in a time that we're feeling weary of soul. Um, it's the way we were designed from the very beginning. The way this was all put together was that the spirit was to dominate the soul. And the way we will succeed, the way we'll, we will succeed in life, never mind just this pandemic, is if spirit has control, if the spirit is in charge of my life, if the decisions that I make that are value decisions, right or wrong, good or bad, if they're made not out of the operation of my soul, but if they're made out of the operation of my conscience, my intuition, and my communion, if it comes from my wondering in my spirit, um, what is the God thing that should be going on here. And the communion that belongs up there in the spirit, I think, is a realm of functioning that we, we often find very elusive. Um, Paul says when he's telling a church that they need to straighten up the way that they're behaving, he says, um, I will sing in the spirit, I will pray in the spirit, I will do it with the understanding for sure, but I will sing, I will operate in the spirit and I, th I think his spirituality, um, not an unintentional label, um, really stems from his saying, I, I don't find my, my nourishment in the soul. I find my nourishment in the spirit. And e even in our religious lives, we can too often, I think, try to travel in the soul area when God is inviting us to travel in the spirit area. Uh, in the area of profound connection, uh, intuitive connection that, that maybe is not an intellectual thing, not what I understand, but it's what I know, it's what I'm grasping, it's knowing him, walking with him. And in the middle of trying to deal with our weariness, hopefully we can pulled, be pulled out of the the mire of the body and the soul and we can say that the spirit's in charge here of all of this does that make sense somewhere somehow good let's do that